Well, I, uh, I looked at this and looked at it and looked at it. And um, there's a lot, not a lot of happiness in here. Um, but uh, so I, um, well, the only thing here I saw was happier were the victims of the sword. That doesn't seem very happy to me. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of illustrations with this. So much of it is so sad that I'm like, ugh, I don't even know what I can do with that. Um, but I've divided this into four sections. You know, that's what we do. We divide things up. Zion's punishment is the first one. It's verses 1 to 10. The number two, the wrath of the Lord, verses 11 to 16. Verse 3, or... Number three, the end has come, verses 17 to 20. And number four, the passing of the cup, uh, 21 and 22. I, um, I titled this sermon, uh, Don't Drink the Cup, because the cup is, is just horrible in here, the cup that they've had to drink. And um, I want to tell you in the end, we'll get into a little happiness, a little good news, that uh, we don't have to drink this kind of cup um, if we move to the Lord. So, I'm just going to start off here on number one, um, Zion's punishment. Uh, How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Just some observations. Um, The gold had likely been looted, except for maybe some charred remains. The uh, Plus, I, I thought... To them at the time, gold's not worth much if you can't buy bread or security or uh, save your life with it. Um, I don't think they were running around looking for little pieces of gold at that time. They would have been running around looking for pieces of bread. Only stones scattered around from the destruction of the temple. Um, They're at the heads of the streets and... um, I I think, you know, what we would call the head of a street a lot of times would be like where it ends at a high point or um, where it goes to something important and then out from there. But um, I can imagine that most of the streets in Jerusalem back then all headed up um, to Jerusalem to the temple. And so... As the temple got torn down, here's all these pieces of stone lying scattered in the streets. Um, Sons of Zion may refer to those maybe of the house of David or those that uh, maybe worked in the temple. Uh, They were considered precious. Um, Prior to the siege, they were valuable. But now they're like earthen pots. And back then, all your, all your uh, uh, plates and dishes, everything was made out of pottery. And 
If it got a crack, it was going to leak and you just threw it away, dashed it to the ground. So we, um, we also notice the, um, the word street here in verse uh, 1. I know that's an odd thing to look at. But oddly in this whole poem, it's uh, used five times. And um, I thought it might be to emphasize the city, the people caught in the middle of the siege. Um, all these streets, I think, represents the city. But uh, we see it in verse 1, verse 5, verse 8, 14, and 18. On to our next, uh, verses 3 and 4. Even jackals offer their breasts. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant stick to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. So the daughter of my people has become cruel. Worse than a jackal, more like a negligent ostrich. She refuses to nurse her baby. Now, I do have one guess there that possibly has they're starting to starve to death. The women have no milk uh, to give those babies. Um, but I don't know. They are being judged for their sin, so maybe, maybe they've just become exceptionally cruel in this time. Uh, in Job, um, it talks about the uh, ostrich and how it's uh, likely to run away and leave its egg behind. It just drops it into the uh, down on the ground and kind of covers it up a little. And um, they are not the most motherly kind. The uh, ostriches aren't. So um, also. Um, we had mentioned there the tongue of the nursing baby sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. Um, children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Again, I, I don't know if it's the cruelty or the lack of food and water for them. But uh, they were... Um, they were trapped a long time in there. I think I had read maybe 16 months or so. Uh, they couldn't leave the uh, Jerusalem uh, because the Babylonians were right outside. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Those who once had, a fan, had fancy food, well, now they die in the street of starvation. Um, those who once had expensive clothes now embrace hash heaps. I do not get that at all. Um, I can only think they are out hanging out by the dump and hoping to find something, a nibble to eat. It could be it was getting uh, cold at night. And uh, they were um, hanging out by the hot ash heaps to stay warm. But it's a big change for those who had uh, the expensive clothes and those who had uh, the...
fancy food. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. So the punishment of Sodom, we think back, and it was, as we're told, sudden. It was quick and complete. Um, the best guess is that it was there around the Dead Sea, and that's why it's the way it is and so salty. But they don't really find any remains from it. God wiped it out. It was incredible. But, um, but it was quick. But the punishment of Jerusalem was slow and agonizing, almost torturous. The sin of Jerusalem was greater, we think, than the sin of Sodom. Uh, God made them suffer more through this uh, time period. Verses 7 and 8. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. And it has become as dry as wood. Um, boy, try to understand. I, I don't understand being more ruddy than coal, coral. Um, or a form like a sapphire. Um, it was interesting. And they're whiter than milk um, before. But now, um, now they're unrecognizable. Before they were probably what uh, the people thought of as the most handsome and attractive men in the uh, in the whole kingdom and now they're unrecognizable dirty shriveled dry shrunken skin um, their days of looking like sapphire are gone I'm afraid uh, the hap verse 9 happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away pierced by lack of the fruits of the field it's um, better to die by the sword than to slowly starve to death, uh, I think is what they wanted us to see there. The um, Verse 10, the hands of, and this is kind of yucky here. You know, if you have little kids around, I don't know, wouldn't mind covering their ears. The hands of the compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. That just is unimaginable. Of course, I'm here with a full stomach. I, I don't know what they went through to that point, but it's, it's just horrible to think about. Women once compassionate are now moved to, by starvation, I guess, to eat their child. The... Um, Oh, Matthew Henry, he had a little quote there. He says he thought it could have been the power of necessity. Here they're starving to death. Or it could have been the power of iniquity. Um, maybe 
they're being judged for their sin. Uh, maybe at this time, as in Romans 1 verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. He just allowed them to do whatever entered their mind. And um, maybe that's so. If, um, if you're looking for understanding more of um, Deuteronomy and all these punishments, uh, Deuter- or not Deuteronomy, Lamentations and all these punishments, Deuteronomy 28 is the spot to look. Um, there uh, God uh, lays out through Moses, he lays out um, the, uh, all the blessings for following his teachings and commands. And, and it's, it's like six or eight verses. And then there's like 50 verses of curses if you don't follow what Moses had told them, uh, what God had instructed. So I'm just going to read this little section again if you think somebody needs to cover their ears. The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender will be grudged to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet. And her children whom she bears... Because, lacking everything, she will eat them secretly, in the siege and in the the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. Um, It's predicted and it's fulfilled. What a sad prophecy and what a sad fulfillment. Um, Let's see. I thought in verses 1 through 10, which we're just finishing up, it was interesting that they seemed to cover most everybody. The sons of Zion, mothers, infants, children, the rich, the royal princes, the compassionate women are all listed in the punishment um, because they all receive that punishment. Next, we go to the wrath of the Lord. Here you'd think we've already been through that, but uh, he's, uh, we talk about the wrath of the Lord in verses 11 through 16. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. This is verse 11. He poured out his hot anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. Why is all this happening to Zion? Because they did not obey all the commands that God had given to them. God promised to do this if they did not obey Him. And again, we can look back to Deuteronomy 28. So they're getting what He had promised. The Lord has given full vent to His wrath. And when I say He's giving full vent, He's doing it, quite a lot of it, using his tool, uh, Babylon, and uh, his tool, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He, um, 
you know, not only did they burn those houses, the uh, House of David and the uh, temple, but uh, that fire in Zion even burn up the foundation, which was um, likely made of stone. But that's how, that's what the Lord's um, full vent of his wrath looks like, hot enough to burn away a foundation. Verse 12, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. They were very secure. They'd been um, improved upon by the last few kings. And uh, they had even um, connected a a spring close by to uh, Jerusalem underground. I think it's almost 1,800 feet through solid rock. Um, So they would have water during the siege. But um, either not enough or it's just the fact they had famine at the same time and all their food was gone. But why was the enemy able to enter the gates of Jerusalem? That secure, that powerful, all the kings were afraid to try. Well, in his wrath, God allowed it. Otherwise, they couldn't have. The gates were strong, but God is all-powerful. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. That's verse 13. They, um, even in uh, Jeremiah's time, they had killed a prophet named Uriah also. But over the length of its history, Lots of prophets had been killed. If they gave the king bad news, he didn't always take the bad news. He would kill the prophet. But um, Matthew twenty-three thirty-one to 33, Jesus here, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And that's our Jesus who we know is all love. But um, Jesus is all justice and righteousness too. But they, um, they apparently had a history and even in recent time uh, before the uh, Jerusalem was uh, taken they had a history of killing people of course by preaching false uh, sermons and uh, false prophecies uh, whether they physically killed people or maybe what they said caused people to turn away from the Lord and uh, caused or um, spiritual death in people verse 14 15 and 16 They wandered blind through the streets. And that's these uh, priests and prophets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. And of course, um, in uh, Jesus' time, we remember hearing that uh, the uh, 
people with leprosy. They were the ones that cried out to stay away from them. But here the people of the city were telling these prophets and priests to stay away. Go away from us. Um, So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall not stay with us no longer. They shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. Again, we see that what is happening is the Lord's doing. Um, He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Why was God punishing Zion? Well, in this case, it seems to be the sins of the prophets, the iniquity of the priests. They shed the blood of of the righteous, and now the Lord has scattered them. Our third point, the end has come. And uh, this covers verses 17 to 20. Our eyes failed. This is verse 17. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for hope or help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. So instead of hoping in God, they were hoping in other nations. I can imagine as they could see um, Babylon was getting close to breaking through probably at night or in the day when they thought they were far enough away from the archers they were uh, looking and hoping that somebody would come save them when I think they should have been on their knees praying uh, instead they were looking for somebody to save them they had had a uh, like a treaty with Egypt that I, you know, they were hoping Egypt would come and help them, but they didn't. Um, verse 18, they dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. That word streets again. Our end drew near and our days were numbered for our end had come. The enemy was chasing them. They could not escape. Have you, I don't know, I probably watch too many uh, uh, TVs or movie shows sometimes. And I'll have a dream where I'm, I'm running and somehow I, every time I look back, they're getting closer, they're getting closer. I imagine that's how this felt. Um, they could not get away and they were all around them the Babylonians. Uh, Days were numbered. The end had come. What a thing to say. Um, On a happier side, Psalm 37, 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. But uh, here it's a recognition that the end is coming soon. It's only obvious. Probably the troops were starting to gather near the gates. Uh, They had almost cut their way through the gates. They were ready to come through. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it was um, depressing for them and scary for them. 
Verse 19, our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. It seemed that the walls were down and everyone was making a run for it. Um, And why wouldn't they? Once it collapses, once that wall collapses and the people come in, you're either running or hiding. Um, After months of starvation, though, I doubt the Jews would even be able to run. Or not very far. But... um, Habakkuk 1.8, their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fierce, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. And not only, I'm sure that was true, but as I say, with these people in the shape they were in, Um, it probably seemed more so like it to them. Uh, They could not get away. The breath, verse 20, the breath of our nostrils. Um, It's interesting in uh, Genesis, um, God breathes the uh, breath into the uh, nostrils um, as he creates uh, Adam. Uh, The Lord's anointed was captured in their pits. And it's interesting that they refer to him as the anointed. Which every king of of, uh, Judah, every king of Israel is of course anointed. So they're all the Lord's anointed. Whether they were a good king or a bad king. Um was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under this shadow we shall live among the nations. Zedekiah was indeed the Lord's anointed. Even so, he did not worship God or listen to his prophets, sadly. Um, The last we uh, hear from King Zedekiah, his family and some soldiers made a run for Egypt when the walls were breached. They ran out the backside, a secret exit route. They were soon caught. His sons all killed as he watched, and his eyes were put out. Then they sent him in chains to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, And we never hear from him again. Presumably he died in Babylon. Um, What a thing to see all your sons killed before your eyes and then your eyes put out. So that was the last thing you would ever see. But again we see the people were putting their faith in a man instead of God. The passing of the cup, number four. Our last section here. And um, verse 21 Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. 
Edom is currently delighted to see Zion defeated. They probably were rejoicing. And uh, the jealousy and hate of Edom for Jerusalem goes back to Jacob stealing the birthright of Esau. So way back to that time period. And they still hated him because of that. But now the cup passes to Edom. Their turn to suffer. Uh, You could sum that whole verse there up as, um, okay, laugh now. Um, Tomorrow you're going to pay. And that's what happens. Verse 22, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So we see a reversal of roles here. Um, Suddenly the punishment is going to come on Zion. And suddenly, um, uh, uh, no, suddenly the punishment's going to come on Edom. And then uh, the uh, punishment of uh, Zion is accomplished. Uh, he will keep you in exile no longer. Now, I'm positive that that probably took quite a while for the exiles to come back. And. Um, Many did never never came back, uh, but God was no longer actively punishing them for the things they had done. And Edom uh, would get pretty well wiped out. The punishment for the sin of Zion is now complete. It's interesting when you think of that, uh, the completion of the uh, sin or the um, I'm sorry, the completion of the punishment for sin. Edom is about to be punished. The sin of Edom will be uncovered. Um, I think the uh, if the um, praise team wants to make their way up front, I, um, I do have some good news. I know that was uh, long and not exciting, but um, it's also one that we can learn some lessons from. Uh, the first I thought of was, um, has it mentioned Sodom? Um, how terribly they were uh, destroyed. Um, imagine being there for the destruction of Sodom. Fire and brimstone raining down on the towns. The agony, the screaming people, animals, houses, barns, all burning, melting, till nothing's left. As I said, I don't know that they think that's where it was, there near the Dead Sea, but there's nothing left. Um, God just destroyed it. But it was quick, which was the point they were making in the text. But then here we have the punishment of Jerusalem, even worse, uh, in that it was long, slow, torturous. Uh, You think of that 16-month siege and the people knowing probably the good portion of us are going to die whenever they get in or be shipped away. 
Um, what a time. What a punishment. Again, that's not happy yet, but we're getting there. Um, our God hates sin and rebellion. Uh, as we've sung those songs today, talking again and again about holy, holy, holy. And that's our God it's talking about. It's not us. It's talking about our God is holy. Uh, we need to be holy. Um, but God, in His holiness, um, doesn't even want to look at sin. And uh, so He wants the punishment. There are no little sins. They're all big in the eyes of God. Uh, we were born sinners. Just imagine the pile of sins we've accumulated in our life. Um, everything, I think, everything I do, everything I say, and even the things I know I should do, but don't do, if it disobeys God, it is a sin. Let me tell you, I've made a pile of sins in my life. And uh, and without picking on anybody, I know everybody here has made a pile of sins in their lives. We are all like Christian. Remember the man in Pilgrim's Progress as he started his trip? He would walk along. He had a hard time getting around because he had this giant burden on his back. Um, all this um, baggage he had on his back. His burden is unforgiven sin and shame and guilt he has. From our birth till now, we carry this burden in life. It gets bigger every day. Every day there's more sins to put on our back. And many people... I'm convinced oftentimes, sometimes it's a physical problem, but I think many times depression can come from all that baggage on somebody's back. And why wouldn't it make you depressed? Um, then a, a second thing I'm, I'm thinking of, not only God hates sin and rebellion, but the cup of God's anger that we learned about. We saw the Lord's wrath poured out on Zion. And then it was passed to Edom. Here's a, uh, to me, just an interesting one. Uh, verse from uh, Revelation. Now this is about those who take on the mark of the beast. But you could also insert anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. You, they could cert, insert their name there also. Starting uh, Revelation 14, 10, and 11. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented, tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. So this person who had taken the mark of the beast had to drink this cup full strength and um, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever 
and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its uh, time. We, um, we face that same cup of anger in our lives, each of us, and uh, singly and as a church even, I think. But um, singly, we each face that uh, cup of anger. And that's why, you know, I came up with the title of my sermon has, Don't Drink the Cup. Well, if we had any choice, we wouldn't. Um, If we never believe in Christ, we will have to drink that cup. We will have no choice. With the great burden of sin on our backs, getting bigger every day, how do we avoid drinking the cup? Has it said in the text, the end is near and our days are numbered? Now, I know they were talking about Jerusalem, but I'm telling you today the end is near and our days are numbered. I'm not naming a date. No, I'm not. But I am warning you, uh, some of you in here are older than me. And some days I think this could be the day um, that I go home to be with the Lord. But I also know it could be the day when he comes to get us. Let's all hope for that. We'll pray for that because that would be the fun way to go. We can all go together um, flying through the air. Um, As the hour approaches for Jesus to go to the cross, he asked God the Father to remove the cup from him. Well, why wouldn't he ask that? He's perfect. He's God. Why should he have to drink that cup? of anger, that cup of wrath. Well, Jesus was doing it for you and I. And thank God the Father. uh, He said, no, Jesus, go ahead and drink that cup. Um, So, thankfully, Jesus was told to drink the cup for us. Has the only perfect and sinless man to ever live, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us. And all our sin, and boy, some of us have a big baggage of sin. It'd be a great day to get that burden off your back. Um, Right before he died, Jesus said, it is finished. And I think much like we saw in our passage there in verse 22, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. God was telling them, it's over. Your, your, um, your punishment's done. Well, Jesus says it is finished to the idea that our punishment is gone. Um, our sin debt had been paid. He was then raised from the grave on the third day and sits at the Father's right hand. So do you believe this? Do you want the burden of sin removed from your life? If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you repent and make Him the Lord of your life, you will be saved. You no longer carry the burden of sin. And you don't have to drink the cup. 
I'd love to talk to somebody about this. If you're, you're wondering about it, if you are realizing, I am carrying a heavy burden. Um, but there will be somebody in the prayer room. As a matter of fact, I'm going to sit over there in case you come over and want to talk to me. So don't disappoint me. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, you who are Christians, don't be selfish with this good news. Share it with others. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, you gave us this harsh message today. Um, Lord, help us uh, to know where people are going and how we have that good news that can save them. Help us to share. Make us strong in our belief. Help those who are teetering who think this burden is indeed heavy. This guilt and sin is weighing me down. I need it out of my brain. I need it out of my heart. I need it out of my life. Help them to come to you today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.